Hope you're well this morning and just want to say uh, and take a moment and say welcome. It is so good to, to be here and just to, to be together. But if you uh, can't be here and you're watching online, I also want to say, hey, thank you so much for joining us and, and welcome as well. We are so privileged that the, the Lord is really using even our online platform, which we, um, you know, we did some digital stuff before, but we didn't plan on streaming in the way that we did. And so we're grateful for that as well. So a couple of things. If you're new, let me introduce myself. My name is Aaron. I get the privilege of serving as the executive pastor here, and um, it it is a real true uh, privilege. Um, Love it. Been here just a little bit over a year. If you're wondering where Johnny's at today, he and his family get some time away, and so I would encourage you just to uh, pray for them, even even as they spend some time away. Not only would they get rest, but it's a time where um, Johnny really seeks the Lord. We start thinking about what the sermon calendar looks like for even the entire next year and where God would have us. We know that's an important endeavor. Um, because in God's providence, he leads us in his word right to the places we need to go. Obviously, we could have never expected what it is that 2020 would hold, and yet at the same time, uh, God meets us exactly where we're at, and so we're so, so grateful for that. If you got your Bibles or your phones, I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 5. That's where we're going to find ourselves this morning. A very familiar story as we begin a new series uh, that's going to go all the way through the summer, at least all the way um, through parts of August. And we've entitled this Sunday School Stories, Lessons Learned or Lessons Lived. And I don't know about you, but perhaps if you grew up in church, uh, there are some of the stories that we're going to look at that you are very, very familiar with. But the question is, can they become so familiar that it's easy for us to then lose sight of how it is that we actually live those out. So that's where we're going to be uh, today as we look at this very first story, the idea where Jesus calls his first disciples, including Peter, and he uses the metaphor of fishing when he says, I will make you fishers of men. Now, let me share uh, just something real quick with you as as a way of introduction. So the way that this process works for me uh, throughout the week, um, and really read through this text, pray through this text, outline this text, uh, begin to write the content of what it is that I believe the Lord has for us to see out of this text, including an intro. And so I, I, I did that. I tried to get done by a Thursday night so that Friday and Saturday, I really spend the time really just kind of thinking, okay, Lord, what is it that needs to um, change in this? What do you have for our people? Um, how it is that we can just kind of flesh things out? And so I tell you, all that to say that I actually wrote an intro for this, which this morning at eight o'clock I threw away. And so good luck with this, where we're going. But uh, there's a point that I'm going to share that with you in this intro, and that's this, is that as I studied uh, this text this week, uh, this very familiar story, I really asked the Lord, I said, man, I want to see underneath the hood, so to speak. We read this, and it is a familiar story. And I want to see and experience the humanity that Peter and James and John and all of these men had as they encountered Jesus in some of these very early moments of his ministry. And I, and I really asked the Lord, I said, man, I, Lord, just reveal to me what it was, must have been like to be in uh, it really just kind of seeing their humanity in this. Because you know what happens is we can read it on the, the pages that are black and white and it fails to sometimes rise as an aroma of the reality of what it is that, we, um, that was really going on at the time. And so that was my prayer. Uh, so I finished all of that Friday night um, I was scrolling social media, which I don't know why, because it just makes me angry. But nonetheless, I was so- scrolling social media, and I saw the advertisement for uh, this the, the series Chosen. So if you've never seen or 
you don't know anything about that, it's, uh, it's a current series that's out, put out by Dallas Jenkins, um, and it is a Christian series that walks through the life of Jesus as seen in the Gospels. And typically, I stay away from stuff like that because, well, it's terrible, right? Most, most of the time, it's cheesy with bad plots, not this. It was amazing. Now, I tell you that not to promote something, like no one's paying me to, to promote the chosen. Here's why I share that with you. I got to Saturday, I'd watched this Friday night, I got this to Saturday, and I'm like, man, I, um, I got to watch that again. And so we worked on Saturday a bit, uh, then ordered a pizza, um, told Jen, just order a pizza, let's just stay in. And then I'm, I'm laying on the couch, here's a sight for you to behold, right? Pizza in one hand, computer on my lap, thinking about what I'm going to share with you today. And we start watching the next episode. And don't you know, in God's providence, the story that comes on the screen is this very story. Now, one of the things that I thought was done so well is the dramatic way that the actors were able to portray this really got to the, the very thing that I was trying to feel this week. How is it that it must have been like to be in that moment and see this miracle and encounter Jesus that radically alters the way that we live? It was amazing. And here's what I, here's what I knew. As I'm sitting there in this moment thinking about our, our time together this morning, with pizza in one hand, a computer in my lap, and tears streaming down my face, there was this moment where Peter in this series locks eyes with Jesus at the end of this miracle. And it was miraculous just to see the replay. Because in that moment, he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. And that has been my prayer. My prayer for us, my prayer for myself has been that I might see Jesus, that we might make much of Jesus, that if Jesus is not uh, in, in the, the central place of everything that we do, if we don't see him as the center of all scripture, then we have gotten ourselves completely off course as to what it is that the Bible is actually talking about. You know, if you grew up in church, you probably are very familiar with this story as well. And so here's our challenge as we look at this text this morning. I want to explore it so that we actually can make much of Jesus. Because we know, we know that when we make much of Jesus, that actually impacts both our view of him and it impacts our circumstances and how it is that we choose to live. Here's what I hope for us today, this morning, church. Let us make much of Jesus as we read this text, that the Spirit of God might illuminate the realities of who he actually is. Oh, we know that he's the Son of God, but may we experience it as we go to his word this morning. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 5 again. We're in the first 11 verses. I want to read this together with us this morning. Scripture says this, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So that's the Sea of Galilee. It's another word for the Sea of Galilee. I want you to have this picture in your mind. Jesus is there. He's on the edge. He's teaching to many. And all of a sudden, they start to press into him. And he steps away, and he's going to step onto a boat. Verse 2. And he saw two boats by a lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, who will later be called Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Now Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. 
They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Let's start just in a word of prayer this morning. Father, I pray that you really would illuminate this text for us. Father, I pray this morning that that you would eliminate the distractions, whether uh, we're in this room together or whether we're in our living room or in some other places we're watching this online. God, I pray that the Spirit of God would speak powerfully uh, through your word today. God, I pray that these words would not be mine, but God, that they would be yours, that you would have us to uh, relish in who it is that you are, God, that you would change the way uh, that we live, the way that we respond to you, the way that we see you. We know that your glory is paramount, so we ask you to do what only you can do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Simon Peter fishes for a living. So not sport fishing, sitting on the side of the bank, doing like deadliest catch kind of fishing, right? The kind where storms come up in the Sea of Galilee and it can be really rough at times. And I want you to know that this is how Peter actually makes a living. So when you have fish, you're making money. When there's no fish, there's no money. And it becomes a a pretty big struggle if you're not catching fish. And so on this very night, he's caught nothing. Nothing. So I want you to understand that. That means there's no money. Everything that he counts on, he's worked all night. And then he encounters Jesus, and Jesus says, now this is what I want you to do. I want you to throw your nets back into the water. And what happens next is stunning. I don't know if you've ever really spent some time to ponder this. I had to do this this week. Like Jesus puts the fish into the nets Peter had worked all night to do this. And in one moment, there was more of a bounty than Peter could ever possibly imagine. So what in the world is happening? Why is it that Jesus would do this? What is it that we can start to see and understand and explore? Because here's what I want you to know. Jesus' purpose was a whole lot more than just fish in a fisherman's nets. One of the things that Jesus began to do in this very moment was to reveal his divinity. He was saying, yes, I am fully human, and at the same time, I am fully God. And that would change Peter's life, and it would change his calling. But here's what I want us to know. I do not want us to lose sight of the fact that the miraculous happened in the middle of the mundane. What I mean is that what Simon was doing, he did every single day. And he encountered the same struggles that you and I encounter at work. If you've ever had a bad day at work or you go home and you feel like, man, I have bombed that, I have failed it, you're probably even still going to get paid, but Peter's not going to get paid. He experiences the same thing, and it's in that moment where he encounters the extraordinary power of Christ. Ken Hughes, pastor uh, and author who commented on this, says this. He put it this way about this text. He said, this was not the first exposure to Christ's kingdom authority. But this time, Jesus ministered in Simon Peter's personal universe. You know, when Jesus 
When Jesus' power actually meets us in the middle of our struggles, here's what happens. Our attention begins to go from our struggles to our Savior. In the middle of whatever it is that you're facing this morning, Jesus and who he is as revealed even in this story and throughout the, the New Testament changes our perspective because all of a sudden when we begin to see Jesus as not an add-on to our life, Jesus as not somebody who comes along and just makes things better, which is what is taught so much today. No, Jesus himself is God and he possesses all the power and all the authority that comes with that, then it changes our perspective, not only of who Christ is, but it changes the perspective of our circumstances and what it is that we're facing today. So I have some perspectives that I wanna pull out of this text that when we really see the, the magnitude of who Christ is, speaks to us in some profound ways. The first thing that I wanna share with you this morning is this, that the power of God in Christ is actually greater than our struggles. The power of God in Christ is greater than our struggles. Look at verses four through six with me one more time. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, but at your word, I will let down my nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. You know, what I love about Simon Peter is his raw expressions. If there's, if there's a person in the New Testament that I can identify with, it's Peter. He vomits from his mouth and then has to like, right, take that back. That's, that's just, that's who Peter is. And we're gonna see that throughout his entire ministry uh, life. Look what he says here. Master, I've toiled all night. Like, I, I've took nothing. And that's right when Jesus asks him to throw the nets back in the water. Perhaps one of the things we can see is that it's a demanding request. He's tired. You know what he's doing right now? He's sitting on the shore and he's, he's mending the nets. They've got to be cleaned. They've got to be repaired. They've got to go back into the boat so that he can do it all again the night. And he's got to do all of this knowing that the, the previous night was completely unsuccessful. And I'm wondering if he's thinking to himself, well, what in the world does a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth have, have any idea about fishing in the Sea of Galilee? You know, this week I just couldn't get away from the phrase that is recorded for Peter. Master, we've toiled all night and we caught nothing. Isn't really what he is saying, even in that moment, is, what good does it do it again? Like, what good does it do to do it again? I don't know how many times in my life that I have uttered that exact phrase. You know, we can't know with complete certainty what it is that Simon was feeling, but just ask yourself for a moment, how would you feel in this moment? Because Peter was every bit as much a human being as you are. And so if that was your experience, perhaps you would feel defeated or frustrated or maybe you were just annoyed or maybe you're physically tired. We know, we know Peter had to have been physically exhausted. 
And so when we think about Simon Peter's struggles, like whatever it is that they are, they are no different than the things that you are facing, perhaps that you're even facing this morning when he encounters the power of God in Christ. And in one moment, this demonstration of divinity is the thing that catapults Peter's understanding of who Jesus is, changes the entire direction of his life. But I want to ask you, Can you relate to the feelings of being defeated or frustrated or annoyed and physically exhausted? I'm going to suppose that most of us are able to relate with those particular feelings. You know why? Because those struggles are, they're just human struggles. So the question we ask as we look at this text is, how does the power of God actually intersect with our struggles? With all of the things that you're facing, because, because maybe what you face this morning is a dichotomy. What you know about the truth of who God is and the way you're experiencing life and those things, they're just struggling to cross in such a way that it makes an indelible difference in your life so that Jesus, that Jesus actually makes a difference, not only for you in eternity, but what you're experiencing this morning. A couple of things I just want to share with you as I was considering this and we talk about our struggles is that Jesus' power is, first of all, revealed in our struggles. If you think about anything that you struggle with in life, the ways that, that the reality of living in a broken world just means that we encounter so many of these struggles, just a few, for example, of, of what I highlighted this morning, those struggles take us to the end of ourselves. I have yet to meet a Christian but at some point in the, in the despair and, and, and the depth of their struggle doesn't get to the place where they go, I, I actually can't do this. And when Jesus meets us in that moment, his power is revealed. And you know what happens? It takes us from this inward posture that we often all succumb to. And it puts us in an outward posture where we look and we see the significance of who Christ actually is. It reveals our struggles. But not only does it do that, Jesus' power also releases us from thinking that we have the power to fix ourselves or other people. So often we look at the situation and circumstances that surround us and we try really, really hard and come up with a whole band of solutions. Like that's... I don't know if even you know that. That's like part of my job, and it's in my DNA. Part of what I do is solve problems. And so it's very easy to begin to think that I have all of the solutions to fix it and then apply that to relationships, marriage, my children, my friendships. All of a sudden, I begin to think, well, that I know best. I can fix Whatever, whatever is going on in somebody else's life. And when we encounter struggles that, that intersect with the power of God, it releases us from being able to think that we actually can fix that. And third, admitting our struggles actually creates opportunities for us to trust and see the power of Christ. Sometimes we just have to get to the end of ourselves to get to a place where we actually see that the Christ who we say we can trust and who's in power, who, whose power it is that we say we believe in, actually meets us in the place that we're at in our everyday life. So I'm going to guess that I don't have to spend much time telling you that 2020 is a year that, if nothing else, reveals our struggles. Right? 
If, uh, if you would have told me on the 1st of January that this is what 2020 would have looked like, I would have asked if we could have fast-forwarded to 2021. Although that terrifies me as well now, too, so I don't know about that. Here's what we, here's what we see. Struggles in us, struggles outside of us. It's everywhere. These are, these are these, these human struggles that we all, that we all have. And perhaps, perhaps this is not such a bad thing. Have you ever considered the fact that, that when we think about the struggles that we're encountering right now, if what Jesus is doing is exposing our increasing and desperate need for him, then actually it's a grace of God to see him removing our perceived self-sufficiency. You know why? Because human struggles tend to, to humble us, or at least they should. They expose for us our limitations. I don't know what you thought you had control of in 2020, in February. But by the time we got to March, the limited ability for every single one of us as human beings was more than obvious. We're just limited. But you know what that does? That leads us to a place of greater trust and deeper satisfaction. It leads us to a place where as God's people, we can say, I can do nothing without Christ. Because we say that, we sing it, we talk about it, but sometimes it's not until we've gone through some of the deep uh, gut-wrenching experiences in life do we get to a place where that is actually lived out. I can do nothing without Jesus Christ. So where do we go from there? Does that mean that then our response is just to passively wait? Is the best thing that we can do just kind of a, a let go and let God theology? Are we a people that are just to be, I don't know, let me just wait around and, and I'll kind of see, uh, you know, if this is worth it. Well, let's just see what it is that God actually does. A few weeks ago when we were kind of finishing up Psalm 27, Johnny, um, he described what waiting is not when he said this. Waiting is not disobedience. It's not laziness. And it's not skepticism. Church, I want to just encourage us. We are not called to passivity, but active obedience. Even while we know that what we need is for God to show up. And in that very moment, that's how Jesus' power actually motivates us as people to a faith in action. Look at verse 5 with me. Draw your attention back there. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. I want you to notice something in that text. Notice what Peter does before the power of Christ is revealed. So after telling Jesus that they've toiled all night, like we've worked all night, we haven't got anything, it's then in that moment that he acts in faith. When he says this, Jesus says, let down your nets. He says, at your word, I will let down the nets. You see, faith in action is trusting in the power of God that is yet to be revealed in our present circumstances. Peter moved in a situation that didn't make sense from a logical perspective. And every single one of us are going to be called to move, maybe not even in such profound ways, but we're going to be called to move when logic says otherwise. 
And if we say that we actually believe in the power of God, then we have to ask ourselves, where by faith are we putting that into action? Question that I wrestled with as I was looking at this text is, are we, as Aaron, are you willing to just drop your nets? In response to what God says, and the reason, or the way rather that we can go after that is by asking yourself, what is it in God's word that he is calling you by faith to step into in spite of the way that you feel this morning? So in spite of the, the, the way that you feel is maybe if you're defeated or if you're annoyed or if you're frustrated, what is he calling you into? And if I could just confess for myself, when I actually encounter struggles um, that I experience, I can use them as an excuse. So I don't, Maybe you're a whole lot better than me. That's entirely possible. It's probable. My wife would probably affirm that. But for me, and I just want to check out. I don't want to, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do the hard things because I am Peter. What I have said more times than not is I've toiled all night. I've actually asked myself, what difference does it make? And maybe that's you. How many times in the middle of everything that we have been facing in the last several months have, have you been to a place, and mine has been, it's been frustration and annoyance for sure, but I've also come to a place of defeat. What does it matter? Why? And the Lord keeps asking this question, where do you need to drop your nets? So here's a question to ask yourself. What categories that we've been talking about this morning resonate with where you're at today? Can you describe what you've experienced or what you are experiencing as a place of, of, of defeat or frustration or annoyance or you're tired or maybe you're like, yep, check the box, that's me, I've got all of those. So what is it that we're supposed to do with the struggles that we are experiencing? What does dropping our nets and putting faith in action actually look like from a practical in biblical perspective. Here's the first thing that I want to share with you. You have to identify how those struggles are even manifesting in your life. How are they manifesting in your life? Right now, would you say, man, the way that it's coming out of my life is just spiritual dryness. Like, I struggle to get into the word. I just struggle to feel the presence of God. I read, and it just doesn't seem to make any impact in my life. For some of us, we've just become bitter. The longer we've gone, the more things we're experiencing, the more frustration we have, the more bitter that we actually become. Or maybe you're one that's experiencing conflict. Maybe of your annoyance, you just experience conflict with other people or that's in your household or whatever that looks like. But, but do you start to see how this plays itself out? Ask yourself, self-awareness is a great thing. How is it manifesting in my life? Are you resentful? Are you arrogant? Gosh, if there's one thing that I have seen during this last three months is that, which is why I have to stay off social media, uh, that arrogance, right? Arrogance and pride just fall out everywhere. And I get so frustrated with them, like, turn it off, Aaron, turn it off. Maybe you're a person that just insists on their own way. You don't believe the best about other people. You know, one of the things that we're seeing right now in our culture is we don't believe the best about other people. Everybody else is viewed as an enemy. Sidebar. This list isn't even something that Aaron came up with. That's what you can find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
But it, it presses the point because perhaps those are the things that we're experiencing and what we need to do or th- that we're living out. We need to just identify them. You know, I tell counselees that I meet with all the time, you have to identify the heart struggles because that begins, and the way that you do that is be, begin by just seeing how they are, are revealed in the ways that you're living right now. If you say, man, I'm just frustrated or I'm just annoyed and you fail to make the connection, this is how it plays out with my neighbor, my spouse, my kids, you might be missing the, you might be missing the way that those are playing out. You might be missing the ways that, that, that even in this moment you're sinning. All right, I got to go on. Second, what do you do with that? How do you put faith into action in those categories? Some of us this morning just need to do the hard work of dropping our nets and seek humility. We have to admit what we don't know. We have to admit where we're wrong, where we have to admit where we're blind. We have to admit the things that we do not see. Some of us in the midst of this time, has been, we've been sinned against. You know how bitterness forms? Bitterness forms out of unforgiveness. And so some of us need to do the hard work of forgiving somebody else even while they have not asked for forgiveness. Don't think that's hard? That's hard stuff. Some of us just need to be in a posture of confession or repentance. Some of us need to be just loving without expectation. We love a this for that. Happens in marriages all the time, and I see it continually. I'm, I'm guilty of it. I'll love you in certain ways if you'll love me in certain ways first. Jen and I call it the catch-22. Who's going to go first? Real biblical love is a love without expectation. Perhaps that's what we need to push into. Perhaps we need to bear one another's burdens right now in this moment, even while we're in the midst of our own. But here's what I want you to know. In your own power, all of the things that we've just talked about are impossible. Because the power of God has already been given to you in the gospel, and that's the thing that makes it possible. Because the gospel has changed you, if you are a believer, because the gospel has changed you, you now actually have the ability and the power that you need to actually walk in humility, to seek forgiveness, to confess, to repent, to love without expectation, to bear one another's burdens. Do not be surprised when the world doesn't do that, but we should not be shocked when Christians begin to act as Christians that have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second perspective I just want to share with you quickly. The authority of God in Christ. By the way, the first point was the longest, so we're going to go fast. Because I know some of you are going, that was first. But here we go. The authority of God in Christ is greater than our sin. Look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Man, when Simon Peter sees the power of God in Jesus, look at his response. He calls him Lord. He falls down and he asks Jesus to leave his presence. Why is it that he would respond this way? You know what what Peter is becoming to, to understand? That in that moment, it's clear that Jesus possessed the authority of God when the divinity of it was revealed. And for us, in the presence of God, our sinfulness becomes exposed. The the greater that you begin to see Jesus, the more that you will see your own sin, the more that you will relish in the grace that has changed you. So what has been your response? Do you fall or do you flee? 
See, what we know about Simon Peter is that his life was changed. And that is the message of the gospel, that grace changes us. When Jesus meets Peter on this boat in this moment, that is going to be the thing that radically alters the rest of Peter's life. That wasn't because Peter did anything. Grace changes us. The message of the gospel, the unmerited favor of God does what you do not have the power to do for yourself. Your sinfulness, church, will never be outside of the reach of God's saving grace, ever. But I think that for those of us who who are believers, or maybe we've been believers for a long time, we might be tempted to just think, you know what? But grace stops at our salvation. Grace to get in, But then what I really need to do is I need to keep working to earn it. Not earn my salvation, but I need to earn God's favor. And we, we run through life in this posture where, man, when I find myself in the middle of sin, God is displeased, and what he's going to do is he's going to take things away from me. And so I work really hard to try to be really good so it is that I can, I can, uh, bring on the favor of God. And here's what I want to tell you. Everything that you need has already been given to you by the grace of God in your salvation. What I want you to know is that throughout your life, grace never stops pursuing us. Never. So how do you view God's grace? Or the better question might be this. What do you believe God's grace actually is? Because as we've talked about the struggles that we're experiencing even this year, do you view your struggles as the kindness of God? Some are like, no, nah, I don't think so. But grace that never stops pursuing us means that the struggles we have are the means by which God changes us. You know this, you can see this because Simon Peter's life is a prime example. Through all of his failures, throughout his entire life, Jesus is pursuing him. And that is that, that, is that persistent pursuing grace Listen, believer, change your view of God's grace and you will begin to see God God at work in the recesses of your heart. So maybe you're discouraged this morning. Maybe you're at a place where your struggles have become much louder and much more prominent in your head than the grace of God. And this year has a tendency to do that. It highlights the uncertain times that we can live in. And here's what happens. It feels more like abandonment, but not grace. But I want you to know, if God is for you, and he is for you, if his desire is for you to look more and more like Christ, then seeing your struggles, not as God abandoning you, but actually they're, they're God pursuing you, that will change how you respond to other people, and it will change how you see Jesus. Look at what Peter says in the, in the later part of his life in 1 Peter 4. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't, don't be shocked. So what is Peter saying for us right now? Don't be surprised that this is happening. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Here's what Peter makes the connection in that verse. The sufferings that we experience should not surprise us. But as we, as we, as we experience suffering, even in this life, we share in the sufferings of Christ that reveal the glory of Christ. 
Last one we're going to close is the invitation that we're going to see in this text is the invitation of God in Christ that calls us to mission. In verse 9, as this, this story comes to a close, it says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. Verse 11, look at this. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. What Jesus did in his power and by his authority was for a purpose. He was calling Peter to a life of living on mission. If you know Matthew 28, you know that the, that the, that the mission of God that, that he is calling Peter to is the same mission that we've been invited to. It's our mission as well. You see it written all over the place, right? Why, what's our mission as a church? It comes out of scripture. It's not just a pithy statement that we talk about all the time. We actually really believe that we exist to glorify God by making and mobilizing disciples who represent the gospel to every man, woman, and child. And we want to see that fulfilled in this city and beyond. It's an invitation. Last year, I had the privilege of going to the UK. I was teaching some counseling things to some Romanian brothers and sisters in Christ that are in a Romanian church in uh, the countryside of England. It was glorious. On our way back out, we were in London for a day. So I stood in front of Buckingham Palace, which was an amazing thing. Not to mention, I binge-watched The Crown before I went on Netflix, and so I was like a royal expert by this point, right? trying to put all that together, and the flag wasn't up, so I guess the queen wasn't there. But had she been, I wondered, man, I wonder what it would have been like if I would have gotten an invitation to work from the queen. Now listen, maybe some of our UK friends are watching because just glorious people, if you haven't met some of our mission partners over there. If you're watching, I love you. I do not want to live in the UK, but that's a whole different story. I do happen to wonder is what it would be like what an honor it would be to receive an invitation from the queen, even one that I didn't want to accept. We'll see the parallel is this. The invitation that God is actually inviting us to right now is the greatest invitation that you will ever receive. And I wonder if sometimes what we do is we just, we just kind of look at that invitation and respond, you know, I should get to that when I have a chance. I mean, when we say it out loud, it actually kind of sounds absurd, doesn't it? And I should get to that when I have a chance. But as we think about that, here's a question for us to wrestle with. It's a question I have had to wrestle with. Has the invitation to the mission stopped in the midst of the cultural chaos that we're currently experiencing? Well, the answer is no. But I have heard from a lot of folks in our church, and it's understandable, that the missional opportunities have dried up or they've been placed on back burner. What do we do in the midst of this time? How do we live missionally? So I've struggled with that. Maybe you've struggled with that. But the question that really has been piercing to me is, have I seen the mission that God has called us to is just something that I can get back to? You know, when our lives return to normal and things are back, then I'll get about the mission. And the reason it's such a piercing question is because what it does is it has to, it causes us to actually have to navigate that deep tension that we're all in right now. What God has called us to, to live on mission and loving others by living responsibly. I don't, I don't actually have an easy answer. So if you're looking for some great bits of wisdom in that, wrong place. I do know this. I have a clear call. 
And I also know this, at the end of our text, Simon Peter and the other folks left everything and they followed Jesus. That's how the text ends. Here's what else I know, that the sacrifice that they would make in that one decision was, was gonna result in glorious ministry and some of the deepest suffering they've ever experienced. You know, the tr truth is, church, that regardless of how we navigate our present circumstances, the Christian life is going to be threaded throughout with bouts of suffering. It's inescapable. We're in one moment of time, of all eternity, as we struggle through this current time in our culture that brings suffering. And it's existed long before us, and it will exist far after we're gone until the day that Jesus returns. So where do we go and what do we do? I, I don't know what opportunities the Lord is going to put before you. I do know that he has given us some time as a church in these last few few months to really work on our discipleship process. And one of the things that we're going to be rolling out next year is several discipleship tools, one of them called the Grace Story Tool. There's nothing significant about the tool that I want you to know right now. Just know that those are coming. But here's what I want you to understand, that in God's grace, he's given us a story. You have a story. Other people have a story. Your grace story is not just your salvation. It's not just your testimony, but it's the way that God's grace has continually pursued you throughout your life. The way that he's met you in the moments of your struggles. And your story and the way that God has intersected and invaded that is a powerful testimony to those who then begin to share their story with you. The conversations are as easy as that. We begin to listen for the brokenness and all of the things that, that other people experience and we look for points where we can say, and this is how Jesus changed me. We look for moments where we can share the hope that we have. God is inviting you to mission. And no greater, no greater honor could we have than be invited into what God is already doing. So before we sing this last song, can I just share with you one last thing? I'm going to close. I have no idea what the rest of what 2020 is going to look like. And we probably shouldn't try to predict at the rate we're going. I have no idea what these next several months or perhaps even years are going to be. But here is what I do know with certainty that we can even see from this text. The power of God is greater than everything we are facing. Do you believe that? I also know that Jesus' authority is supreme and supersedes all of the sin that separates me from Christ. He paid it all. I also know that the mission of God goes on regardless of any obstacles that are before us. Church, here's what I want us to finish with. It's the same place that I began this morning. When we look at this text and we try to intersect it with our lives at the end of the day, Lord, I just want to see Jesus. Father, thank you for the time we've had in your word today. God, I pray that you would just continue to speak and minister to our souls. Demonstrate your power. Remind us of your authority. Deploy us on mission. We ask this in Jesus' name.